What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this rip of Tales from the Crypt. Sat down with our good friend John Carballo. We recorded two episodes. We're only going to release the first one now. The second one will be out at a later date. This one, we uh, we dove into some uncomfortable truths about Bitcoin, as John likes to describe them. Uh, very good follow-up to the Arbed Out episode that we dropped on Hollow's Eve over the weekend. Uh, yeah, we, tell, we dive into it all. Divisibility, block space. Should blocks be bigger? Should they be smaller? Lightning, uh, the UTXO set, a bunch of things. Uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. It was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash Up. Cash Up, some of you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, sell sats. Sats is the standard. 100 million sats in one Bitcoin. Cash App makes it very easy to stack sats. Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers. You can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Beyond that, uh, they've got their boost program and a bunch of other cool stuff. And they're sponsoring Max Verstappen, uh, number one F1 racer in the world right now. If you haven't downloaded the app, use the code stacking sats, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. <clears throat> got a morning workout and 6 a.m. workout today high cardio my lungs are all fucked up after <sighs> getting through it getting through it everybody's gonna come in you get long covid no i just worked hard I just worked out very hard probably smoked too many cigarettes last week this trip was also brought to you by good friends at unchained capital unchained capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your security setup in your key setup for bitcoin uh, many single points of failure. If you're holding your keys, uh, if well, you wouldn't even be holding your keys, if you're holding claims to Bitcoin on an exchange, you don't hold any keys and therefore it's a single point of failure in exchange, exchange. You can just wake up one day and say, nah, nah, you're not getting this Bitcoin. We don't like the way you look. We don't like where you live. We don't like how you make your money. Bitcoin is odds. You can sell it for cash, but can't get your UTXOs. Unchained is here to help you solve this problem. All right. They have their multi-sig vault. It's a two or three multi-sig collaborative custody model where you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. You can always move your Bitcoin in and out of your vault at your own volition. Uh, but if you ever need Unchained to be the second in the two or three multi-sig uh, signature, excuse me, transaction, they are there for you. They have a white glove concierge service. It's uh, going to take you from zero to having a vault set up with a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in it. It's going to come with multiple video conference calls to get you comfortable with multi-sig, to get you comfortable with their vault product specifically. They're going to send you hardware wallets. They're going to teach you how to set those up, create private public key pairs, uh, back up the seed phrases for those private keys that are associated with those wallets, uh, how to save your derivation pass in the multi-sig setup. Uh, and a bunch of other things. Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna get you comfortable. They're gonna get you set up, and then again, a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats dumped into your vault at the end of the day. This is a package. There's a plane flying over me. Sorry for that. <clears throat> uh, if you tell them TFTC, TFTC sent you, you're gonna get fifty dollars off that package. Uh, if you don't want to go straight into the package and you want a one-on-one consultation, they're offering those as well. Go check out everything they have to offer at Unchained.com. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals into the Bitcoin mining game. They want more individual hash rate ownership out there to help further distribute the mining layer of Bitcoin. You go to compassmining.io, C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io, uh, and you can purchase ASICs there. 
Uh, once you purchase that ASIC, you have some options. The first option, you can mine at home if you want to do that. If you want to get an ASIC, have it sent to your home uh, and, and actually mine with your own electricity or electricity that you've locked down somewhere near your house. You can do that, and Compass has an at-home mining team that is there to support you, get you uh, comfortable with the electrical infrastructure that you need to set up for your particular mining, uh, how to connect to your miner, how to point your hash at a pool, and how to get those sats from the pool to a wallet that you own. Beyond that, uh, Compass is working to create uh, hosting relationships with with big hosting facilities that that have competitive electricity costs. If you don't want to mine a home, you can choose a hosting facility and decide to mine there as well. Uh, you own the miner. You can take it home in kind as you wish. CompassMining.io. Go check it out. Whew. Whew. Still catching my breath after that workout, freaks. It's going on at gym in Austin. Fucking kick your ass. This rope is also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains. Brains is the team behind Slushpool, and they're a team that is helping you stack more sats with your hash by providing you with the Brains OS Plus firmware, the auto-tuning firmware, which um, dives into the individual chips on your hashing board and figures out which ones are higher frequency, which ones are lower frequency, and it decides to focus the energy on the higher frequency chips, increasing the hash rate of your individual ASIC, and therefore increasing uh, the amount of sats that you're going to stack with that ASIC. If you're running a minor uh, model that is compatible with Brains OS Plus and you're not using it, you're leaving sats on the table. May have may or may not have gotten an update this morning. I think it's going to be good. That's all I'll say. Brains is also looking higher. If you're a Rust developer, you're working on some hardware, you're a system admin, they're a Bitcoin-only company looking to hire, I highly recommend working for them. I would if I weren't too dumb. If I weren't so goddamn dumb, I'd think about it. Go check out everything they have going on at Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Uh, go check out their auto-tuning firmware, uh, all their content, their mining profitability c- calculators, and you can follow them at Brains underscore systems on Twitter. They're doing long threads on the mining industry. Uh, and then, of course, their team behind Slushpool. Oh, important to mention, if you're running Brains OS Plus on your A6 and you point your hash at Slushpool, you're going to get 0% pool fees. You don't have to point your hash at Slushpool, though. You can point it anywhere you want to. However, uh, that that no pool fee is a pretty good big. Enjoy this, Rip Freaks. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. John Carvalho, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Bent. What are we What are we good morning today? Chinese, what's your Chinese mining theory? You want to jump right into that? We're jumping right into All it. All right. It's, it's relevant because I was talking to a couple of Bitcoiners a couple of nights ago about how I had had this theory, you know, based off of China, you know, observing China's behavior for the past, you know, 10 years or I guess 2014 was really when they got into, you know, making ASICs and such. 
and you know everybody makes the joke like China's like has fun and they banned Bitcoin a million times and you know it, there's they're always just kind of trying to cause problems with the Bitcoin price whatever or whatever it may be but then this year they like combined this FUD you know with a removal of hash power and a you know so-called migration of all the mining to the US and so my theory goes like this there are a lot of assumptions here so I could easily be wrong but I like to think that like if I could come up with this like that China could definitely come up with it and so basically what I think is that there's a, a portion or a time in the, in the every Bitcoin cycle where China decides to basically price manipulate in order to get more Bitcoin. And they will, you know, sell their Bitcoin, use the collateral to short Bitcoin to get the price down, and then try to reaccumulate, in, you know, at the bottom or during a bear market to have more Bitcoin in the end. And obviously the FUD of just banning Bitcoin in obscure ways or uh, harassing Chinese exchanges isn't really working that well anymore. You know, you saw like this year, I think when they did like a non-mining related FUD, FUD run, it moved the price maybe $3,000 or something like this. It didn't really have much of an effect. Yeah, the marginal return on that, those uh, quote unquote crypto banning announcements has, has been reduced significantly over the years. And I think that they they see this and they became aware of it and they said, you know, well, we have a whole next gen of miners that will be shipping in the fourth quarter of this year. And we're going to be basically having to find an aftermarket for all our old miners to bring the new miners in. And, you know, as as you know, like China is also dominant in the production of ASIC chips for miners, not just mining directly. Um, uh, yeah. Taiwan and South Korea. Sure. The chips. I, I will. I should disclaim before all of this. Mining is probably the thing that I'm like less expert on than most things in Bitcoin. You know, mm -hmm. so a lot of this is speculation on my part, based off of like how I would play the game. You know what I mean? Um, and obviously, China has been making a lot of Bitcoin for a long time. You know, being involved with ASICs, whether it be the production of the ASICs or actually implementing them in farms and pools. Um, and so my theory is basically that they decided to like create a, de a demand for the aftermarket to combine with FUD. So basically say they pulled, they turned off miners, you know, after they sold, sold their Bitcoin and took their, sh made their shorts. And you know, it's like, obviously this ban is quote unquote real. It's like <laughs> the, the, they literally took the miners offline. Look at the hash rate. It's dipped significantly. And this is the first time it dipped significantly since 2014. It's basically been parabolic since then. And we've been mostly sideways this year. It's like the first time this has actually happened. Um, and so it's like, it's, you can see it, you can believe it. And then they, my theory is that all they did was they sold a small portion of their miners of basically the miners they would like to get rid of. Um, and, and, you know, again, you can probably correct me on some things here where there are some holes in my theory, but let me, let me finish it through. Um, and, you know, then as those miners started getting delivered, you know, you had, you know, American mining companies eating it up. Like this is the first year everybody's like talking about all these American mining companies like nobody ever heard of like two years ago. Right. And now all of a sudden they're all relevant. They're all hyped. They've all put it. They're all putting a lot of hash power online. Everybody has this narrative where China's you know, China has stupidly you know, left mining and given it to the U.S. and the U.S. is now, you know, dominant and, and you know, seizing the day. Um, but as soon as they, they had those deliveries start coming online, they started putting their own miners back online, you know, so it looks like 
all of the like we have no real gauge to know how much truly of their miners they literally sold to the u.s like you could pull maybe all the people that bought some see what the total amount purchased was see if it matches up with the amount of hash rate that fell off i don't know that anybody's actually done that and i don't know how hard or feasible it is to do that um but my theory is basically that they were buying back their Bitcoin at 30K and they were turning on the miners slowly, you know, to try to get back in. And they were just simply either not signing blocks or signing blocks differently and, you know, creating some, you know, uh, interference with your with our ability to measure their behavior, like different than the past. And now using this as another form of price manipulation. And so what I was saying to these Bitcoiners at the at the bar the other night is basically that. If I'm right, what we'll see is that China will unban mining and then we'll start to see mining going back par parabolic again when they put start putting next-gen miners online and those next-gen miners may not even make it to the U.S. They might just all get consumed in Asia and that will be like the, the you know, reviving of Chinese mining or Asian mining, you know, in, in that area of the world and it will be like they'll make it look like great news because now they have all their Bitcoin back and they'll say, oh, look, we're, we're unbinding my unbinding mining pump it, you know, mm -hmm. and they'll distribute again. And then we'll have our next real bear market eventually, maybe like sometime next year or the year after. And so they're just trying to find ways to manipulate the price to be able to get more Bitcoin. And I'm just what I'm worried about is like, there's, an, there's also been a little resurgence of like pleb mining, you know, like you have people just buying two or three miners or something like this. And two or three miners are, you know, very expensive um, for most people, at least. And they're kind of trying to get into mining. And my theory and what I was joking with with these guys at the bar who are people you all know, know and love, but I won't mention them, um, <laughs> was that they'll never get the amount of Bitcoin back that they spent on those miners as small time miners. And yeah, that, that covers most of the theory and maybe I left something out, but just generally it's, it would be a strategy for manipulating the market to get more Bitcoin, both against traders um, to manipulate the, the trading market price and also to now to manipulate buyers of mining in, in outside countries. I like the theory. A couple things I need help getting to find. Who are they? I think I've always famously said you need to separate the CCP from the individual Chinese miners and the entrepreneurs running mining companies. Can you though? Like as far as I know, like big business in China is pretty much the CCP. Well, it depends on how big it gets, right? I, I have no idea. Like, I think we, like that's the hard part is like we stay pretty ignorant and I think they like us to stay pretty ignorant. The The information that we get about Chinese, like anything to do with Bitcoin is always like second, third hand random Twitter accounts. And that's how that's at least the impression not being in mining. You BTC know? King 555. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, who is this guy and why do we believe every press release he ever gives us? Like, yeah. uh, I just, you know, I'm a skeptical guy. As 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 you should be, and we all should be, and particularly in this regards, and that I guess, so that is another. I don't want to say holes to poke in a theory, but some things I can confirm is being close to the mining industry. Like there definitely have been Chinese miners who are running farms in mainland China that have uh, moved to the U.S. and, and spun up sizable operations, multi hundred mm -hmm. megawatts. So it may not be all the hash rate. Uh, that went off the network earlier this year, migrated to the U.S. and other countries, but there has been a material amount. There were rumors that smaller operations in China, even after the ban, were still operating. So that, I think that chart that Cambridge Institute threw out a couple of weeks ago was just like 0% mining in China. It's just, there's, that's complete bullshit. There's definitely hash rates yeah. still in China. 
there's definitely anecdotal evidence that does not support my theory. Yeah. But the problem is, is anecdotal evidence, you can only go so far with it. Like, it'll support your narrative just as much as it'll support theirs. I can find, you know, yeah. on both sides. And in the end, somebody would have to make a true research effort to tro properly measure how much mining did actually come here and whether it does compensate significantly yeah. for what we saw as a change. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying your theory is wrong. I, I certainly think it can be right. Um, and that's sort of the beauty of the Bitcoin network, right? Is we can actually like never truly know um, due to the way mining and its permissionless nature works. And so a couple more things, manufacturing side, I just know personally, um, just the, the mining operations that I'm a part of that uh, foreign buyers are getting access to new gen miners and orders. Um, so they're at least allowed in the pre-orders of these new gen miners that will be released next year. So I don't think all Yeah, the they'll hash. mine with them for a few months first and they'll <laughs> them. That's typically <laughs> what they've done. Supply chain stuff. Uh, like I said, ships manufactured, Bitmain, Taiwan, which is a bit of a problem. Like, is that going to be a proxy China state? Is it already? Uh, to South Korea, a little bit more risk, uh, a little less risky. In my opinion, I think South Korea is more autonomous than Taiwan, obviously. Uh, and then the actual manufacturing of the A6 after the chips are produced, they're moving. I know for a fact that Bitmain and uh, and MicroBT are moving the the actual uh, manufacturing and construction of the A6 outside of China's mainland into Indonesia, uh, in Thailand, I believe, and Malaysia. Um, so outside of the mainland again, still in that Southeast Asia region, um, maybe risky just via proximity to China. But I do think... Uh, don't you think that, like... Like, I just don't... I refuse to believe that China is stupid, you know? And I think that, like, they have made a lot of Bitcoin, you know, in the, you know since 2014 in this kind of, you know, industry through, you know, TSMC, I think, is one of the mm -hmm. major chip makers there. Like, that... Miners have, like, inflated the value of chips, you know what I mean? And so, like, to just kind of ditch Bitcoin and ditch mining and kind of deflate the value of their whole little you know their piece of the world in this industry it just seems like i just don't believe that they would be that rash and that stupid when they could have just like more formally taken it over instead and just made it and kept those prices up and kept everything producing um and just as a random anecdotal thing what i'll add is uh matt alborg from bitrefill he likes to do research on a lot of different bitcoin stuff and stats and stuff like this and he doesn't have time to look into it. i tried to get him to but he did find that um and this is again anecdotal and maybe could be debunked but he did look at like like sites like similar web where you can see web traffic you mm -hmm. know for things and he noticed that the similar web web traffic for all of the chinese mining pool websites has not changed at all at any point this year like they, there was never a dip in, in traffic to those websites. Interesting. Which like, so what I would like to see somebody do is analyze whether there's been an increase in like unsigned blocks and see if that, how it correlates to the mining the shift in mining difficulty that we've seen this year or, or see if there's like another shift in when like, you, like marked blocks with other names or new names. Yeah, like, so when you say you're talking about like the Coinbase message so you can yeah like the yeah. only reason we know any miner doesn't as far as I if, I if I understand how it works correctly the only reason we know who mines what is because they say they mined it and you can never <laughs> be for sure that it, right like right and so it's something manipulatable as well like China could have just stopped signing their blocks and now all of a sudden there's a big shift to anonymous blocks or they yeah. could have started signing them as like their non-Chinese entities like and they could have been forming this for a year you know where it's I'm getting very conspiracy here but yeah no I mean 
anything is within the realm of possibility when it comes to China. But again, I would caution, like, I just don't, I don't think, I do think the CCP is smart. I don't think they're that smart. I don't think they're as coordinated as many people. I don't think I'm that smart though. You know what I mean? That's the thing. It's like, if I could come up with this, this is what I would done if I was them. If I'm, if I were willing to lie, willing to manipulate, like they always have, you know, ever since they were part of the Bitcoin community. And I don't want to, it's not, I don't mean this in a racist way, but I mean this in like a strategic way, like as, as game players in this game, they are willing to do things in a certain way and they have, they have established that pattern, you know? And so why wouldn't they do this idea? That's just, that's what makes it interesting to me. At least I'm happy to be wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like again, I'm, I've always been just knowing Chinese miners and maybe I'm getting psy up, but I do think there is a delineation between the mining industry and the CCP. Maybe that line is getting blurred as Bitcoin becomes more, more uh, powerful on the global stage if you will and then there's another thing too like maybe it's just a coincidence um i had edward evenson from brains on earlier in the year to to help walk me through the chinese mining ban as as a pool operator they, they have a lot of chinese clients that they interact with and so he lived in china for an extended period of time as well and, and i think the coincidental event of the ccp's 100 year anniversary falling on this year and the theme around that being harmony um and just bitcoin and bitcoin mining specifically sucking energy off certain grids uh led to some unharmonious activity as deemed by the ccp and so as what from what i understand from what edward described the ccp 100 year anniversary celebrations were something that uh, the the regime there wanted to be flawless and uh, the theme was harmony and you had yeah. this unharmonious uh, activity in the form of mining and trading uh shit coins and stuff like that happening and i they edward if you go back and listen to that ep- episode said he wouldn't be surprised if uh, they do all this they Band mining, uh, they have the celebrations, and then six months later, they just quietly uh, allow stuff to come back online. Well, you know, I, I will disclaim that, like, the theory is only sexy potentially because of my ignorance about all the situation but i think that my ignorance is shared around, among most of us and then mm-hmm. like the rest is just assumptions and guesses and, and just different speculation than mine um and the, the problem is with my theory is that the it will express not much differently than what you just just described you know what i mean if i'm right what we will see is the price pump the difficulty pump and china come back hard you know and then all of a sudden it's like oh wow china is like another they're a major player all of a sudden again and this would happen within the next three to six months you know like if if i'm right and if you're right yeah (laughs) so it's like i don't know that we'll ever be able to split the difference but what i hope is that when people listen to this there will be people both in the know that will provide some information to refute what i'm saying but maybe people also that are intrigued and try to do a little bit more research and actually find out how true i might be how true it might be in this theory you know yeah and as bitcoiners i think we should always simply run with the base case that china is going to be involved in a material way because they have to be if they want to remain a superpower if we truly believe that bitcoin is going to succeed and do what yeah. we think it's going to do and that could get into like you know conversations you and i have started to have which are like you know my uh, aversion to public mining companies and like mm-hmm. the the potential danger that they pose for at least you know Bitcoiners within their jurisdiction. 
Yeah, so let's get into this. We'll start with the disclaimer that I am uh, uh, on the board of directors of a publicly traded mining company, and so so this is extra spicy. Take that, uh, <laughs> take that um, information as you will as we as we walk through this. Yeah, um, so I'm going to butcher this probably because again, mining is not like my specialized area of interest. But if you read Crypto Economics by Eric Voskul, which I believe everybody really should, to me, in my opinion, it is the Bitcoin book. It is a Bitcoin Bible. It should be a part of your knowledge. So please do that. Agreed. Um, You know, one of the one of the kind of uh, fallacies, I believe, is how he he frames everything is like which fallacies there are. I don't remember the name of the fallacy, but he he basically gets into how, you know, it's a misconception that like that that pooling is a, a good thing and a safe thing and that um people don't think that uh any sort of centralization of mining would be like terrible for bitcoin and there are some people that think that you know as long as it's under 51 percent, it's okay and and the rest is you know just like offsetting risk you know for all of the people in the pool but the issue becomes that the larger a pool becomes within a jurisdiction the easier it becomes to become controlled by the state or influenced by the state and even further you know he does predict out that you know inevitably miners will you know opt to go public and get closer to the cancel on effect essentially you know they'll be able to somehow get money cheaper or get moat in a way you know that, that they can protect themselves through the US government and their relationship with the u.s government and however the u.s government enforces markets and we're seeing that you know i think we're, we're really seeing that this year like we're seeing like several public mining companies come out of nowhere that they probably i don't know some of them probably existed and nobody cared before but now they're all relevant all of a sudden and if we see you know all of u.s mining go into a state where most of it is public companies now these are public companies that are much more easily influenced by the state they do get their advantages you know from the state by being close to them but they the 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 risk here is taxes are a way to offset you know inefficient mining behavior and so if you have incentives that lie outside of Bitcoin, you have to fund those incentives. You have to have somehow like compensate for the fact that you're doing something inefficient where you should just be trying to find the cheapest energy and the highest efficiency ASIC, et cetera. Now you, you're, you're distorting the whole game when you choose external incentives, but only a state can really do that for a sustainable amount of time, or at least along. It's, it's not actually sustainable in the, the infinite term, but it is something that they could sustain for quite a long time because they're the only ones with a monopoly on violence and the ability to basically force people to pay taxes, whether they use fiat or not. Um, and so the, the concern is that U.S. mining, for example, U.S. public mining, could be so, become so large where censorship becomes actually feasible, at least for some time period. And it might only affect Americans. It might only make other people have to pay a little more in fees. Or, you know, it wouldn't kill Bitcoin by any means, but it would certainly make cripple Bitcoin for a subset of users at minimum. And so this becomes a risk to Bitcoin's quality of censorship resistance. I don't know that it could, I don't really like believe in mining attacks, honestly, as far as like 51% attacks. I think that, that as a community, we'll always transcend them somehow, either through code or just social behavior. Um, so that's not really my area of interest so much as that, like they could pull off forms of censorship for quite a long time. They could like make Americans require to only use KYC Bitcoins or use KYC accounts to have to submit transactions directly to miners. They could try to enforce a lot of like annoying things that would like basically chill people from any sort of like black market behavior with Bitcoin. Mm. 
Agreed. They can certainly try whether or not they'll be successful in doing that. It's another question, right? Like people will just well use other like, means, use other pools. You don't have to you don't have to stop everyone to make something illegal and then and you don't have to arrest everyone to get everybody to stop doing something illegal. But at know? the end of the, I agreed. But at the end of the day, those most harmed by that regulation are the publicly traded miners, not I would argue not individual Bitcoin users. Right. So I, I'm more thinking of a state where like it would not right now, you know, mm-hmm. it would be like some, it would be a form of like deterioration where the miners got to be bigger and bigger and like all public and then closer and closer to the state to where they pretty much became the state. You know, they, be, they become dependent, fully dependent on the state. This might take five, 10 years to see like like uh, problems exhibit themselves, but it is like a predicted path. It is something that like Eric Voskul and many others have predicted as a potential attack vector for at least Mm -hmm. the censorship resistant aspect. Agreed. Potential attack could get there. Again, I'm a strong (laughs) believer in Bitcoin's natural incentives. Like if it does get... I am as well. This is just fun to talk about. I know, I know. It's a lot of fun to talk about. It's something as a director on a publicly traded Bitcoin mining company (laughs) uh, board, I should be thinking through these these risk analysis as thoroughly as possible like i apologize for calling you a status (laughs) (laughs) it was late at night i had thick skin john as do you i think we can i try to (laughs) it was insulting though i was like oh oh i was clutching my pearls (laughs) the uh yeah but like so like if it does get to that point right like again would it just render those pools unprofitable and therefore, the miners pointing at those pools is less profitable than the market outside them. So I guess you just need a sufficient amount of hash rate outside of public markets to be that sort of uh, the, the curbing function. Or they would have to actually be supplementing their behavior with taxes, like you know, subsidies. directly or pretty much directly. You know, right. as long as they, yeah, like for example, subsidies or just you know, uh, actually getting like funding or like tax cuts. Like there are there are several ways that they could get these benefits. Yeah, and now you have accelerationist marty coming out like i don't know how long they can play that game anymore dude i think the emperor is naked as naked as he's ever been more and more people are beginning to realize it and again a strong theme on this podcast over the last six months particularly is highlighting the the return to states rights and uh, autonomous sovereign states that are beginning to exerting their rights obviously we're in texas i moved here because i I saw that texas was one of those states standing up for itself against the federal government and sort of putting a stake in the ground saying hey we're 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 good we're not going to go along with that florida's another you have north dakota south dakota tennessee a bunch of others i think that trend's only going to get stronger we actually saw three counties in western Maryland last week come out and asked to secede to West Virginia because they don't agree with what's going on at that particular mm-hmm. state, not even from the federal government, just from their own state. And so, yeah, I, I'm not a religious person, but God bless all those people. Like I lived in Florida for a long time. I didn't really like living where I lived in Florida and I wanted to get out, but I feel like very, very thankful for like their behavior and Texas behavior and any other areas you're mentioning, like they're saving the country. Like, <laughs> no, right. It's, it's a beautiful thing to say. I'm very, again, thank God for that. It's extremely encouraging. And so I guess, like, again, these future attacks is, like, how strong is the stake going to be? And I, maybe, I think this is very contrarian in the Bitcoin space particularly. Like, I think the stakes get the state as an entity, especially the federal government here in the U.S. and federal governments around the world, 
not that they're all federal government, whatever the, the state apparatus of the day is in any particular country is getting weaker and weaker. Like I think we're going to see the sovereign individual thesis play out pretty aggressively. The state will try to get violent, but I, I think that will only be temporarily. Um, and I, again, I, I don't, you can't have dementia Joe up there, like gripping like imaginary ski poles and, and have the whole country have confidence in, in the state of our federal government for, for much longer. And when you add things like inflation, the energy supply crunch that's going on, uh, they're being, uh, exposed as incompetent at the particular scale that we're at in the United States specifically right now. Well, I think that humans are like really, really amazing creatures and that, that goes both for like overcoming adversity, but also causing it <laughs> and like hyper Bitcoinization and circular economy and more specifically the acceleration of these things is like a very, very important topic for me. Um, we'll get into it more when we talk about the new company, but um, it's something I really like to focus on. And I, I, I don't believe like in just letting Bitcoin do what it's going to do, um, because I think that like actually trying to accelerate Bitcoin, you know, adoption, not adoption in the sense of like evangelizing it but like continue like really like modeling the future how we would like it to be technologically and making sure we like have the right tools that everybody needs and our, our you know the right infrastructure to actually enable these things to happen faster and safely um i think that's really important but at the same time i think that like i mentioned like we're really amazing creatures for creating adversity as well and i think that like i do believe that that hyper Bitcoinization will like have a parabolic aspect to it or like basically a curve where it increases in intensity the same way that, you know, inflation probably will hyperinflation will probably be the biggest part of that. Don't say the word, John. <laughs> yeah, you can't yeah. say it. I might cause it by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I want it to happen. Um, I think it's inevitable and I do think it will happen on a curve. And, um, the question is how in you know, how ingenious is the government willing to be in the face of this adversity as they see it coming from Bitcoin and what kind of like really shitty cruel things will they try to do and I think right now they just don't they don't feel the pain too much and they don't see it too much but we're already seeing a lot of hints of like you know what Janet Yellen's willing to say what people are willing to say how insane is that that she actually came out and said like. <laughs> You're talking, you're referring to, uh, unrealized cap gains. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And so like, I imagine getting every Bitcoiner chased by the government to like, tell them how much Bitcoin you have and how much unrealized gains you have. And this is like a horror scenario, especially if they start actually using violence to enforce it. Um, so we don't know what they're actually willing to do. I think they're going to be willing to do some things we think they won't be. That doesn't mean they'll fail at them, but there will be pain. You know, and we will have to overcome adversity. We'll have to actually be holding our own keys, actually be using our own nodes. Like there'll be a point where like, and it will be too late after it starts. Like there'll be a point where like, you'll have to have actually cared about these things. Agreed. We'll have to spin up fucking mesh nets. We need to, we need to start spinning up mesh nets, freaks. Get on it. Uh, it's an area I have a lot of interest in that I haven't like started researching yet, but I would say maybe like in, you know, the next year or two, I would like to get involved in that realm. I just have so much I'm doing right now, but I, you'll definitely see me in the future taking part in that. Cause I do think it's an important part of the design. I do as well. And yeah, yeah. maybe I'm too much of an eternal optimist, but like, again, again, it goes back to like the perfect game theory. Like the state, the state oversteps its boundaries starts enacting violence against Bitcoiners again, hand shown, 
you've you've misstepped actually by doing that so by delegitimizing yourself and legitimizing bitcoin in the same way like yeah i think you can make a constitutional argument not that anybody cares about the constitution anymore but <laughs> bitcoin is at the end of the day a property rights and free speech issue that should be respected um and, and then you can even get into it like and nobody's really talking about this i'm happy that the ibex mercado guys actually brought it up during our discussion last week but like el salvador's move to make it legal tender actually has implications in the international trade realm like if you are going to respect the international trade treaties that have been signed over the last few decades like you one of the uh, uh one of the rules in some of these treaties is that if a nation has a currency that they deem as legal tender, you have to recognize it as the counterpart in trade as legal tender. So if you're, I believe if you're simply, I don't even think you have to be doing direct trade uh, with El Salvador. I think you just have to be a part of some of the same treaties that have been signed uh, to recognize that rule. So um, the, the arguments and the strength of the arguments that the state has are very weak. The question is, is just pure brute force and and uh, strength uh, via the violence that, that the state has monopoly on do they begin to leverage that to go full totalitarian authoritarian excuse me um and start attacking individual bitcoiners and and the network itself which is yet another reason why i moved to texas because if that does happen like i am thinking about this uh, these uh, 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 the move here is evidence that i have thought this stuff to be a possibility yeah, in the future yeah. and feel like being here is a uh, is probably uh, wiser than being in the northeast part of the country well it's a big reason i left the u.s or at least felt comfortable with leaving the u.s you know five years ago when i moved to romania like i just uh i didn't feel like this was the place for me i felt like the trend and the trends in culture and the trends in politics were like so far from who i am as a person i was just like seeing how things were during the trump election i was like this is just not my place. Like I, I don't belong here. I don't want to vote for any of these people. And I felt the same way with the most recent election. And yeah, I, I just feel like things are going awry. And I, I also don't like the current trend of within Bitcoin culture of um, courting politicians. Um, you know, this is maybe a little edgy me sitting in Austin because this is kind of the heart of this of that culture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people courting Ted Cruz and we have Cynthia Lummis and we have, you know, jokes about, you know, uh, Parker Lewis becoming mayor, which they <laughs> trolled me on that. I thought that was real. <laughs> um, and then, you know, inviting, you know, I think it was the actual mayor to bit the, to bit devs to talk. And, you know, he's injecting his ideas to the crowd. And some of those ideas are not totally compatible with Bitcoiners and things get a little awkward. And I just, you know, I, I made a tweet at some point saying like, you know, we'll, people courting the politicians will regret it. Like the people like asking for clearer regulations, trying to educate regulators. Like, I just think that we're just enabling them to like later, you know, take what they want from Bitcoin and, you know, restrict Bitcoin and learn how to restrict Bitcoin. And I think that like, we just don't need them. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we will need some allies, but if the plan is like, you know, to destroy the banks and not need the government and, and manage ourselves and, you know, self-regulate in some way, like we have to recognize that, you know, 
the way the government reason beha- the government behaves the way they behave is because nothing really truly scales on a global level, like pretty much nothing. And so they can't scale collecting taxes. They can't scale like auditing everybody with the IRS. But what scales is just printing more money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's easy. And so I think that that's why they're kind of like reverting to these crude tactics because they can't actually scale any form of enforcement but that does require us to have an alternative like how are we going to scale enforcement how are we going to like deal with people you know yeah and this is a an issue i've gone back and forth on quite a bit just in the last few years like i've always strongly lean towards um, the description you just laid out, like, don't engage in politics. Um, it's not worth it. All politicians are bad. You're only going to corrupt the system. And they're just going to use you to, to get what they want at the end of the day. But then it's hard. Like, do you support the Cynthia Lummises of the world who gets it and is in, in Congress on, on Capitol Hill fighting for Bitcoin and Warren Davidson? If Ted Cruz does actually get it, it's not using it. Um, for his political brownie points, which I find hard to believe. Um, I mean, everything is for political brownie points with politicians. Yeah. Like even yeah. with Cynthia Lum, it's like I don't know her that well. I'm speaking a little ignorantly, but just in general, the the outsider impression because I want to stay an outsider on this stuff is just that she found a pet issue that can get her some some listening, some ears, and some supporters, and she's trying to ride it through. You know, and and the way politicians are most likely is if she finds a better pet issue, she'll pivot to that one, you know, and that's how politics works is you have to horse trade. And so she sees a horse here and she's trying to figure out how to trade on it. Yeah. With Cynthia specifically, like again, she's the one particularly having talked with her, maybe I'm being corrupted or co-opted or whatever you want to say, <laughs> just by even, by even like <laughs> engaging. But I think she's pure in the sense that like she ran the treasury at the state of Wyoming and realize like that the pension, the state pension specifically was only allowed to invest in shit like muni bonds and government bonds and stuff like that. And she uh, is very passionate about actually getting people exposure to better investments and sounder investments, particularly sound money um, and her experience running the treasury in Wyoming uh, and, and seeing the state of runaway debt here at the federal level um, I think she's pretty sure she's pure. Well, if you're going to have a pet issue, Bitcoin is going to be one that will hold up against the test of time. Like, no, like yeah. she's never going to be like insulted or made to look dumb because she tried to fight for Bitcoin, even if it was just for a superficial reason, yeah. you know? And, and again, I will disclaim that like, I'm intentionally trying to stay a bit ignorant about this stuff. So my, my theories might not be so, you know, on point, you know? Yeah. No, and that's like, again, I've gone back and forth on this particular issue many times over the last years because it's like, all right, I agree. Like, we can just build this shit in parallel. We don't need them. We don't need permission. It's the beauty of Bitcoin's open source. It's permissionless. The state um, getting involved is completely unnecessary and, and arguably, I don't even think it's arguable. I think it's uh, just obvious. We'll, we'll do some harm to to the network. Um, but then again, it's like, all right, like they're going to fuck it up anyway. Like, do we, do we play the game to have them fuck it up slower? Like that, I'm a little more worried about shitcoin lobbyists and like, you know, trying to get crypto web you know, 3.0 is the green, yeah. is the green, uh, they're, they're going <laughs> to fucking a 16 Z hired a fucking world economic forum stooge to, to go to Capitol Hill and, and I'm much Advocate more worried about that kind of, of stuff. Yeah. Because well. they're, they're basically going to find ways to justify 
their investments looking like the proper choice, you know, the safe choice, the green choice, whatever it may be. And they're going to equivocate and basically end up creating more regulations that will allow shit coins to get closer to the state tit. And they'll position Bitcoin as the bad guy. Like, it's I think we're going to have a meme. Like, I'm predicting there's going to be a meme from governments. It's just blame it on Bitcoin. And, ha! and like, it'll just be blame it on Bitcoin. Blame it on Bitcoin. Hyperinflation. Blame it on Bitcoin. Yep. Stock crash. Blame it on Bitcoin. You know, shitcoin crash. Rug pulls. Blame it on Bitcoin. Like real estate devalued. Blame it on Bitcoin. <laughs> and we'll, we'll have to we're going to have to like live through that and fight through that and like deal with all the FUD, you know, of all the normies thinking we're the worst people, we're the most black market people. And here we are, we're going to be toxic. I'm going to be saying, yes, it is black market money. That's exactly the point. (laughs) So what? (laughs) Like people think people don't like to use words literally, but they do literally mean things. And black market does not mean illegal. It just means outside of the existing regulatory market. It just means not that market. <laughs> um, and it doesn't mean bad. It just means free. Yeah. It means free. Like drugs, weed was a black market. Now it's somewhat gray. I would argue it's still not legal at the federal level, but obviously it's been uh, legalized in, in many States across the country. And yeah, like again, like yeah, the, arbitrary nature of state regulations uh, forced Bitcoin into existence. Not only state regulations, but central bank policy as well. That's the beauty of Bitcoin, right? Like you have the network asset aspect that really gets around um, arbitrary state regulations, and you have the sound asset um, monetary good that really competes with central bank runaway fiat. Bostrel has actually an interesting term. He 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 calls government money government fiat, and he calls Bitcoin market fiat. Mm-hmm. So it's like fiat issued. It's still a fiat, but it's issued by us together and enforced by us instead of issued by the government. Because uh, I don't like Voskil's definition of fiat, though. Yeah, yeah. When I think I'm of fiat, I think the book. I'm still. I'm like maybe a third way through it. So when I think of fiat. I think, like, I define fiat as money that is decreed, literally forced to use it by law. And that's what we have today. The U.S. dollar, you're forced to pay your taxes in the U.S. dollar. Um, Where Bitcoin seems to be more of a free market phenomenon. Nobody's being forced to use it. They're coalescing on the network. Yes, it was fiat. I guess you could say it was decreed by Satoshi that this is how this network will work. Um, And here are the consensus rules, but I don't think there's uh, a... I I think of fiat, I I think of government's leveraging violence the point the, the yeah the violence part is the problem um that there there's a little weakness in the usage there but i like the usage because i like the concept of just thinking as all money as something that is like issued cooperatively um and how what and how cooperative it is is how good the money is because it helps i think it will help people rationalize things like 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 tether and 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 gift cards and like basically you know any token issued on your reputation is like another kind of fiat you know it's like i don't know maybe that is a better merchant fiat as as a word but like just the idea that like there are always going to there's always going to be a need for people to be able to like have credit in some form like you can't really speculate on business growth without some sort of abstract concept of loaning or credit. And it doesn't, and and if you don't have violence as enforcement, then you need to have some sort of reputation as enforcement. And so like, it's very interesting to me to think of like all monies as like these consensus agreements we have and, the, the government fiat money is supposed to be one 
that's formed through democratic means. You know, like we're all supposed to actually decide how it works. We don't in practice because it's not even part of the government. It's the Fed. Um, it's like, you know, there's this whole weird relationship. And now they're they're printing it without involving us. So it's it's corrupted. But that's the, the design is not like the intent of the design was not bad intentioned. And so that in the end, all fiat is that way. It's, it requires consensus of people to well, agree to trust the design. Yeah, well... It is bad intention, I would argue, and we did agree on what money should be before 1913. It was written into the Constitution. You should have no money outside of gold or so silver. Obviously, the design is very corruptible. It's it's yeah. it's a it's the best design we had maybe for a long time, but it was corrupted pretty quickly. <laughs> very quickly, and there's another semantics argument. Yeah, like issued. It's not people don't agree. That Bitcoin is the best money, and then issue it. Uh, Bitcoin's being issued uh, just because Satoshi launched a protocol, and people are putting computing power and making transactions. Uh, it's not like yeah, it's more referred to as emission than issuance. Yeah, but yeah, it still is created, and it's created cooperatively, and it's created under a rule set. It's just that our rule set is actually enforceable. It's enforceable and without violence and people <laughs> and without violence. And another thing, like, again, it's the, the natural market force just coalescing around Bitcoin and deciding or not deciding, agreeing again, you get very semantic here. Like people, Bitcoin isn't the best money because many people are using it and agreeing to use it. Bitcoin is the best money because of the properties, right? And scarce digital. Uh, portable, divisible, fungible, all that stuff. Um, and they're coalescing around Bitcoin, not because it's been decreed or issued. It's the best money. They're agreeing that these properties make it the best money, um, most distributed, most likely to succeed in the long run. So I don't know if it was intentional, but you just threw me a really good alley-oop where <laughs> you mentioned divisible. Divisibility. <laughs> and we talked about maybe talking about uh, today about the good morning tweets. I don't know if you followed those or, or saw all of them but i did like 30 days in a row every morning i woke up at 7 a.m and came up with like a new little misconception about how bitcoin works that some people have and the trick of it was they were all for the most part just literal truths that people didn't realize were literal truths and people wanted to like argue about these details and i was there i would stay there for at least an hour or two there to argue with people to like you know sort of like a Socratic method. A lot of people didn't quite get it at first for maybe the first two weeks. I had a lot of people unfollowing me and blocking me and telling me I was a shit coiner and telling me I wanted to fork Bitcoin <laughs> and all these crazy things. But the people that stuck around like were really appreciating it. And like I walk around Austin and people are just like, oh, thank you for those things. And I, I did have to stop because it actually became stressful um, to argue with people every morning and start my day that way it was kind of yeah. getting in, you know, getting into my head, getting into like my stress level and I just couldn't do it. I had to stop. And it was starting to get hard to come up with a new one every day. <laughs> yes. But they were too, um, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say starting your day with an internet fight is never, never fun. Sometimes if you're, you're bashing somebody over the head, it is fun. But, uh, yeah, I mean, all my tweets have been quote unquote, good morning tweets, you know, for years. It's just that some, for some reason this format like stuck with people and, and get, got them to kind of congregate over the, the schedule of it or something. I don't know. It worked a lot better this way. Um, but kind of two of the themes of them, which are related um, and related to divisibility, um, are actually three, I would say. 
one that you might find interesting or the, the listeners might find interesting is just the concept that I believe that all forms of scaling are forms of debasement. And that this is an important way to view Bitcoin you know, proposed Bitcoin changes because it should be like the first question people ask about like what, how much are we speculating on the scaling form and who are we debasing and by how much by adding the scaling method. And we can talk about that specifically, but that also like kind of forks into that Bitcoin is not divisible. And the other kind of interesting one that kind of triggered a lot of people about how um, multiplying Bitcoin and dividing Bitcoin are the same thing. And I don't know if you want me to elaborate, but <laughs> yeah, we can get into it. Me, you and Ryan Gentry had a pretty thorough conversation about all this last Tuesday night. So we're about almost a week away now. And yeah, like a, a Ryan, and I on the side, continue the conversation. Like I, I understand we're going with a lot of this, but I think I do disagree with some of it, particularly the debasement thing. Like I think you're again, getting semantic. Well, it's more of a, a dynamic to be aware of. Like, mm. it doesn't mean that people will literally lose value every single time that you scale Bitcoin. It means that if you choose to scale Bitcoin in certain ways um, and that scale isn't realized, that you end up with debasement. Okay, let's get into it because I would just simply describe it as a trade off that's made. Right, um, that's what I mean by dynamic. Is it, there is a trade off there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it necessarily leads to debasement. I mean, well, again, that's okay. So it's semantic, but it's. By semantic, I mean that it's literal. Like so, like for example, um, Lightning Network. You know, adding the Lightning Network actually moves transactions away from miners and to the second layer, and so the fees are now realized by nodes that do the routing. Um, and now these are ideally additional transactions, right? So you, ideally, what you want to see is the blocks full with Lightning Channel creation and Lightning Channel management, and then any of the extra transactions being offloaded. But it's not what we're seeing yet. So like, you could argue that if the block size, say, had stayed one megabyte, that you know the miners would be still getting the same kind of fee uh, potential that they had, and thus th that their mining machines and their investments in mining were protected in this way. They didn't lose basically that. I hate to say this because this is Udi's thing, but they, they didn't <laughs> lose like their digital real estate within Bitcoin. But I mean it in a much more abstract way than maybe Udi does. I mean, just any like amount of skin in the Bitcoin game is like sort of like your little piece of Bitcoin. And when you scale Bitcoin, you basically like dilute that piece in some way and which is can ideally be a good thing every time you just say okay we, we made transactions more efficient so now we have more transactions we made uh, we scaled some way to have more users so now we have more users and more transactions and so the the, the but the the dynamic here is that it's always speculation you don't know for sure if your scaling method will be fully saturated. And if it isn't fully saturated, then you do have debasement. Basically what you have is the existing users just get to do something more cheaply. And so somebody isn't getting the same amount of pay that they used to, or they're having to do more overhead and running a node for having bigger blocks, or you know, which would be fine if there were more people and more scale and my Bitcoin were worth more. But again, if you don't saturate the potential of that scale, you do have some form of debasement. Yeah, and I guess whether or not there has been material, or I don't want to say material, but debasement at all, I think it's too early to tell. Like the saturation you just mentioned, like I think we're so fucking early with all this. Like you can't even know that saturation materializes, I don't think, until like a decade from now, like two decades from now. Like 
if and, this and is a multi the definition of, def of saturation would change depending on the scaling method we're talking about you know yeah. like for me i think that the lightning one is easy because you could just say okay the block if the blocks are full then lightning is paying off right mm -hmm. at least on a transaction level on a user level it doesn't really we didn't add any scaling you know with lightning we just added transaction scaling but and if we do end up with literally more transactions because of lightning in full blocks then everything worked now how long that will take i don't know maybe we'll keep making other scaling methods on the side then just like the blocks just never fill again you know and then the miners are always having to like they're gonna have to get into lightning routing and they're gonna have to like get involved in other ways you know yeah now chris stewart and i uh, had a recording on saturday morning and he he like was opining on a Luke Dasher getting shit on like during the fork war saying that we should make smaller blocks. He was like, dude, what if Luke was right? I was like, like maybe me and one other person that supported him in that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that like he wanted them to be like 300 kilobytes or something. I think yeah. that's a little extreme. I would have just liked to have seen, you know, it be a separate conversation. This is one thing I don't like about like the soft fork culture that's developing in core is that like we're kind of combining more than one thing sometimes. I would have liked to have seen SegWit to fix malleability. I would have liked to have seen in, and to make lightning more feasible and not have to have made this weird compromise of adding like the Block weighting. Weight. Yeah, yeah. Which is a little hard to understand a little like, so, so does that mean we can adjust the block weight again later? And like, like, this assumption that Bitcoiners have any capability to audit Bitcoin core or even understand or even have enough friends that they trust that do know what, what's going on to even like learn. It's just, it's a, it's insane. It's absurd. Like, like changing Bitcoin should be the scariest thing and the hardest thing to do. It should take like years and years to get things through. Even Taproot right now, like it's universally or not universally, it's generally understood to be like a safe no brainer. I don't know. I don't. I can't audit that code. I can't audit that cryptography. I don't know if somebody missed something. But furthermore, it doesn't even have fifty percent like support yet, like on the on the actual network. And but it's already going to be activated, you know. And so the next couple of weeks, here. these things are these things are tricky. You know, I don't want to like dissuade people from improving Bitcoin, but I do want them to like fully realize the weight of what they're doing. Like they're just get asking the whole entire Bitcoin community to trust them. Yeah, and these decisions will impact, again, if Bitcoin is to be successful and as successful as we envision it being, um, generations that, that come after us for, for hundreds of years, potentially, and making these decisions today, and I agree. And that's, that's one thing, again, that we talked about last week, is you think people should be much more skeptical of, yeah. of developers and um, changes to Bitcoin. Like I saw that um, Eric Bosco was is trying to get um, to raise money to get like more formal funding for the Libitcoin project, mm -hmm. and we had a little bit of a debate, uh, mostly him and with uh, some core devs and Adam Back and some people like like on Twitter about it. And I really liked the result. I started to get involved in the debate a little bit, and I really liked the conversation because like even I was like learning as I like was defending it. I was saying, you know, it really would be cool because. It would be so much harder to change Bitcoin if you knew that like there were like these Libitcoin holdouts that had like 20% of the network or something that just always wanted Bitcoin to be the same. Yeah. And I, I like the idea of it make, like having to also convince them, you know? And I think that proved advantageous during the 2019 CVE bug. I don't think Libitcoin was affected the same way that Core was. I don't remember, but I, I, I think you might be right about some of those things. I think even Eric pointed that out, that it wasn't a flaw in their setup. And another thing cool about it is like, 
there's a lot of um like i forget the word like technical debt or such in in bitcoin core there's a lot of like design stuff that's kind of just stuck that way that that nobody would ever choose to make that way today if they were designing from scratch and so to have another implementation that was like all based on say performance or optimized for like server usage within a platform like bitcoin core doesn't have these things like it's like multi-core capability is shit and like it's it's, it's, it's like management of resources just nowhere near what it could be if it were designed for that purpose and even i had to experience this experience this when i was like running exotica like when i was like having my back-end dev explain to me like all the resources that bitcoin actually needs and uses when you're integrating it with an application it's not just like downloading the blockchain and keeping a copy it's like constantly accessing that data and, and using it within your own database and within your own platform it's a whole different monster yeah yeah it's not trivial freaks uh it's something that that should be thoroughly thought through as well and i i do like i do like the little bitcoin um implementation hedge personally there's it's very uh very controversial like should multiple implementations exist i think we see uh that being beneficial for lightning and again with the cv e-bug in 2019 i think that proved beneficial as well um as a fail safe and then the steel man, but I'll say what they'll argue is we've seen evidence of it being bad in the Ethereum space, but it's like, I don't know, Ethereum is like a simulation all around. And I don't like to like use it as an example for too many things because it's like, first of all, you have to have the assumption of Ethereum to talk about the whole premise. And like the assumption of Ethereum is just bad. You know, it just, <laughs> it doesn't scale. It's overly complex. There's so many ways that like, it's just wrong that like, I don't want to use that as like, an example of why we shouldn't do something because something happened on Ethereum. And then when you get into the details of what went wrong with Ethereum, like it's mostly just bad smart contract programming, like, like, and it's mostly the same company with, uh, what was it? Parity. Parity. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you know, these guys may even be like, you know, having a bad intention or, you know, who knows what's going on there. But, I don't know. I just think when you have something like Libitcoin that's just trying to like be simple, efficient, unchanging, like that's a little bit different than like experimental smart contract, a new like a uh, uh, proprietary or or custom multi-sig contract that Parity fucked up. You know? Yeah, and the founder of Parity, Gavin Wood, I believe, started a shitcoin called Polkadot or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. So they they didn't ever left left Ethereum anyway. You know, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, no, again, multi, fan of multiple implementations. Um, we should be skeptical of core debt. It's like, it's a balance, right? You should be skeptical of them, and then you should also respect that they're reviewing. And I do try to stay out of it. I do try to leave them alone. I don't want to troll them. I don't want to distract them. I don't want them to be part of Twitter drama. I, I do try. But what I have found, though, is like when I do try to interface with them, it doesn't really go very well. <laughs> you know, like I've had a, a couple instances, um, like when I was just trying to like contribute to updating a tooltip like in the wallet and it became like i almost got banned because like i wouldn't i didn't want to like bike shed with them about whether blockchain had a space in it like uh -huh. <laughs> yeah just like it's not really that like my experience being a non-core dev being somebody who doesn't have all the culture of contributing to foss like it wasn't easy for me to get in mm -hmm. and then there was another similar event i think well, like there was more people than me um where it was like John Newbery and a couple other people were talking about banning people because we weren't uh, supporting this whole like effort to like 
remove the word black Backless. and master like yeah. from stuff like and that became a whole thing and we could probably talk about brink and the risk of brink that's another one I don't know. <laughs> what do you think the risk is disclaimer i uh, really like michael and john um we don't disclaimer, agree. i do not we don't agree 100 well, i don't really know i don't really know michael but I, i'm not a fan of john i, don't, I didn't really Seeing his behavior during what, what I just mentioned would make me extremely skeptical and like watching that kind of thing. And now seeing, so the concern with Brink is basically centralization of resources. Like they're trying to make it convenient for corporations. Like I, I, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit ignorantly, ignorantly here. I didn't like a lot of research, but I do have a lot of experience with nonprofits actually. Um, before Bitcoin, it was like a specialty of mine. Like we did marketing services and branding services and we specialized in nonprofits. I met with boards all the time. Um, I was on board of nonprofits it's, it's something I have experience with and uh, with Brink I see what they're trying to do I think which is they're just trying to make it easy for corporations to not have to think too hard about where to put their money deal with the logistics of like funding different miscellaneous deve uh, uh, developers and different miscellaneous like like uh, organizations like Square Crypto and all these different things like how do you navigate this landscape well you just go to Brink and we'll take care of it for you and the problem with this is that you know, Brink is already supporting some things that I don't really think should be supported. You know, they're, they're okay with stacks, for example, which I think is just total bullshit. Um, it's like this Bitcoin adjacent kind of affinity. I won't say the word. Uh, <laughs> and That's pivoted many times in the past. Yeah, yeah. And and I I find Muneeb to be very disingenuous and often equivocating, and he's 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 okay with portraying things and leaving things out selectively to like you know continue to get his followers to believe in it. But I just don't like the idea of centralizing um, investment in in, in uh, Bitcoin, and I think it, it exacerbates the problem of like only core getting the investment um, because he's core and he's you know, from that world, and he's probably somebody that would like dissuade these people from something like. Like Libitcoin. And so like this makes, you know, it centralizes a resource related to Bitcoin. And so since I don't agree with his perspectives on Bitcoin and, and, and uh, development, I don't know why, how this could be a good thing. You know, I, I would rather see companies be more educated and more thoughtful about who they invest with instead of outsourcing that trust. I agree. I agree. Don't outsource your trust. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Again, like, I personally like John and Michael. Uh, I do not, I, I completely agree with you. I did not like the blacklisting thing at all. I don't think that type of political wokeness should be brought into Bitcoin core at all in any way, shape or form. It's distracting. It's bullshit. It was it's, never racist. They made it racist. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think you can agree to disagree and still respect people. Um, what Fuck do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the, uh, uh, the diversity of of that type of uh, dev investing model or dev support model. Like what Square, kind of diversity do you mean? Square Crypto, Brink, you know, Matt starting OpenSats with the Bens or with Ben, one of the Bens. Um, you know, the, the ability to support devs directly on GitHub, uh, Chaincode, uh, Nidig, I believe, is beginning to support people, I think. I mean, when you put it that way, I will I'll have to concede that things feel a lot better than they ever have been. Like we mm -hmm. have a lot more options, but they are still all centralized around core. Um, they probably do mostly go to the similar set of developers. Um, and there are still outcasts like Luke, nobody's, nobody's funding Luke Dasher. Nobody's, you know, funding Eric Voskul. Like there are people that I, I considered like some of them to be like, as far as like code wise, these are my idols and nobody gives a fuck. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like 
I mean, maybe I would probably place G Max higher, but like he's kind of like opted out a bit. And Nobody's uh, supporting Luke Dash right now. Mm-mm. As far as I know, no. Was he I getting mean, bitmetry he, search grants? He has gotten some grants, and I have donated a little bit to him at times. Not that that's significant, but like, um, there are people that care. Um, just not people that have the resources like they have for you know just giving him a full time grant so he can work on whatever he wants. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I can't believe he got kicked off Twitter. I can't believe it. Yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can believe it both because of how Twitter is these days and because, you know, like there, there are some topics where people would consider Luke to be a bit edgy. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he, he, he said if anybody tr- comes and tries to force vaccinate me or my family, they will be met with violence or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, think, I guess they I probably classify that as a violent threat um, yeah. or something like this. You have to be real careful on Twitter with talking about just mentioning guns, mentioning violence. Um, Twitter, oh, I can't stand it. But like every time now, I try to say like enjoy. I have like my own meme I like to say, which is like when when shit coiners, I'm just done with them. And, like, enjoy your shit coin. Like, yeah. and every time I tweet that now, Twitter tells me, "Are you sure? Are you, you sure? sure? We're trying to you know get people to you know, think about the tweets. They, whatever that message is, mm-hmm. it's like fuck you. I'm sure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> leave me alone. All right, send tweet. All right, I, we know that you're sure. We're, we're going to hide this in the replies. You're going to right, somebody's right. going to have to we're, click to come it's see like, it. It'll be in the chronological feed, maybe and it definitely won't be in the curated feed fuck you like that's and i noticed that like more and more twitter does this with certain things like um if you put a youtube i don't know what the i guess they just don't want to compete with google but if you put a youtube link in your tweet it will not go into the curated feed like really no matter what youtube link you put it will never get as many likes or or engagement as your other tweets they're trying to get like native twitter video engagement over youtube or something i don't know they just don't don't want people to leave the site or they don't want maybe they have to pay google when they play it on site i I don't know what the relationship is but there's something there that they don't really like yeah interesting um divisibility that's next on the list so I got a lot of shit for this one because people thought I was trying to be like Francis Coppola pizza theory. And it it doesn't really have anything to do with that. It's almost kind of the opposite, but it is related. And so the way it goes is I did these two polls. I did one that was, um, would you be willing to multiply the supply of Bitcoin like proportionally, like everybody would have the same amount of Bitcoin times 10 or whatever, um, in order to uh, make Bitcoin more accessible and affordable for more users? And that was like 98% no. Um, And then I made another poll that was, would you be willing to divide Bitcoin to add more decimal places? And I didn't add any narrative, I think. I think it just said that alone. And that was like uh, 38% yes or something like this, but a big difference. But the trick of it was, is that if you understand how Bitcoin works, you know that that's actually the same question. Bitcoin is not actually divisible. You can't add more decimal places. There are no decimal places in Bitcoin. The the the, the Bitcoin decimal place is just an aesthetic illusion that we, is kind of like baggage that we have with like with Bitcoin to have to explain this to people. Go ahead. There are twenty one quadrillion satoshis. Two point one quadrillion. Two point one. Yeah. Two point one quadrillion. So like there literally is only base units in Bitcoin. It only sees integers. And so to add more integers is just simply to multiply. Like you can put. You can drop a decimal place. You can put two decimal places if you want. You can do anything you want with dots. And Bitcoin doesn't care because it, it, accur- it does act as a whole. And if you split that whole, you are creating, if you try to divide it, 
you're just ultimately multiplying it. And this is a really tricky concept for people to understand because you, you have some very, very reputable, reputable Bitcoiners saying, no, it would be easy. Bitcoin is infinitely divisible. It's actually not. You literally cannot do this. You can verify this. If you actually grill some core developers as to how it actually works and what it would actually look like to add decimal places, you will find that it looks no different. That there is basically you have two options. You could multiply the supply of Bitcoin and then arbitrarily place a decimal point somewhere and just hope that that doesn't change anything in a bad way. And we can talk about how that's impossible. Um, or you can basically create a synthetic second asset in Bitcoin and emulate what it might look like to have, you know, decimal places. Sort of like um, millisats in the Lightning Network. Like, but the problem is that millisats is entirely trusted. There's no enforcement whatsoever. Um, I, I don't support it as a concept, generally speaking. Why not? I like millisats. I don't support things in, in our applications, at least, that I can't properly communicate the risks to, to the user. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's very easy to properly communicate the risk of millisats to a user. What are the risks of millisats? They're just literally imaginary. Like they're just, it's just a tracking system that is supported by lightning nodes for like what I owe you. But there's no enforcement at all. It's just it's just an idea. And if that node like if if that node disappears or they just choose to not cooperate, that's it. Like your 999 millisats are just gone. Like there's nothing that like lets you like show you that they that enforce your ownership of those sats. Was well, that a problem of millisats or the Lightning Network and its implementation? It's a problem of millisats specifically, but. It does extend to a problem of the Lightning Network. A lot of people also aren't aware of. Aware of, but um, transactions under the dust limit are the same way. Um, when you, if you try to send like five Sats to someone, it actually works the same way as Millisats do. It's totally trusted. Um, you, you cannot like enforce your ownership of five Millisats. So what's going on here? I'm getting like 93 Sats payments on yep. Sphinx. So, every, so does, if if those are all not cumula accumulating into one transaction that is over the dust limit, and I might I might be getting the details wrong here. This is Fiat Jeff's discovery, actually. Fiat Jeff's a really cool Lightning hacker. All of you should follow him. All you should yes, check you should. out his work. Um, I've been following him for several years, and he's only getting better and better. Really young guy, you know, sh shining star. I'm sure we'll see a lot from him. Um, but he figured out that like very much like millisats, there is a very trusted aspect to the way lightning works with very small payments. Um, I'm pretty sure it's related to the dust limit. There might be some other uh, factor that contributes to this, but basically it, it's like the same way. You have no way to enforce that transaction because it's under, either under the dust limit or the way that lightning handles it just doesn't actually give you full rights like it would a Bitcoin with that you hold the UTXO key for. Um, so millisats like, it's literally just a line item on somebody's node database where, you know, when you use, when you transact with them, they try to behave as if they owe that to you. But it's just an IOU. It's just, it's just, it's just a number in a database. It's nothing to do with the chain. Your key can't prove that they owe it to you. It's just absolutely, wholly, totally trusted credit. Um, you would have to do the same thing on chain in a much more kind of complex or risky way, most likely, to emulate something like millisats. Mm -hmm. you'd, you'd basically have to do something like create a new SegWit block that only supported this asset. Um, you'd also have to make sure that the asset wasn't able to be created UTXOs because it, as soon as you do that, it's just more Bitcoin, it's just more sats. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it'd have to have a separate trade-off and separate rule set just so you could emulate a decimal place and even that would still be adding li literally it would in the end be effectively adding another asset to bitcoin you'd have bitcoin and then this other asset mm -hmm. 
smaller denominated Bitcoin. Well, it wouldn't be. It just you can't say smaller denominated. It would just literally be another asset, another yeah. token of some kind that had different rules than Bitcoin, and those rules would have to be worse than the Bitcoin rules mm-hmm. in order to make it actually subordinate. Because it could even be better in a way, and those could be worth more than Bitcoin if they had certain qualities that Bitcoin didn't have. Um, but in the end, it would be very, very difficult to even emulate it. Nobody actually has a design or a best design or a preferred design for how to emulate the visibility on chain. Like it doesn't, it's just not a solved problem. Um, and furthermore, you like the only actual solution is to multiply the amount of Bitcoin. And this also gets into like the, that we can only fit like 80 to hundred million people <laughs> on Bitcoin and the, another scaling issue related to the, the quantity of Bitcoin that exists. Yeah, and this is uh, one thing before we go to that, because this is another topic that uh, you're, me, you, and Ryan were discussing last week. Um, again, have pushbacks on millisats pushed up, essentially credit. Could it be a worthwhile trade-off? Like, yes, there's risk involved. Um, oh, I think that, so I do believe that trust is something that people should leverage. Like, like the don't trust verify thing in Bitcoin is cool, but like that doesn't mean that trust isn't useful. Like trust is extremely convenient. And if you have people you can trust, you can get a lot done. Like you can cooperate. Um, so I, I'm not saying that, I mean, in the case of millisites, I do kind of think they're a little bit useless, <laughs> but like just, I'm not saying something like that would be useless necessarily, or even a subordinate asset, a subordinate asset in, in Bitcoin to emulate, you know, to emulate decimal places, there could be real utility there, even if there's trade-offs. Um, I, I'm just saying that that's how we have to look at it. We mm-hmm. have to understand that we're trading trust f- to get convenience. Yes. Um, again, everything's a spectrum. Everything comes with trade-offs. So you have to understand those trade-offs and weigh the pros and cons, and then uh, as an individual user, try to make a, a decision that you think is in your best interest. All right, UTXO set pretty well known there's never going to be enough utxos for every human on earth right so to be semantic because a lot of people use this argument against me you can technically have infinite utxos the limitation is that how many utxos can you have with bitcoin in them Mm -hmm. and that ultimately determines the cap on how many users we can have holding their own keys on bitcoin um there are some solutions people are proposing to kind of abstract the accounts from the utxos and basically have try to have multi-users there are some with lightning as well to try to have like multi-party channels greg maxwell's working on this right i i I only recently learned that there were people working on that aspect on chain Mm -hmm. um i already knew that people were working on things like this for lightning but i'm gonna guess that they will all have trade-offs um and that like with like with lightning with like the multi-party channels and things like this they're promoted as like like actual solutions with like we're gonna be able to do this we're gonna have a bunch of people in one channel Yes, but there's going to be all kinds of trade-offs. It's, it creates like weird games inside for like what happens when one person wants to leave, what happens when one person is non-cooperative, what happens when two people collude. Like it, it becomes a game. And so it's not just as simple as now we have more users per channel scale, you know, thank you, Jesus. It's like, <laughs> like there's like there are trade-offs and that's the thing about with scale. And this is why earlier I was talking about like the debasement aspect is Anytime somebody talks about scale, you have to ask, what is the debasement trade-off? Because there just always is one. And if you don't do that and you just think everything's magical and, and just 
you know, strict upgrades, you are making a mistake. And so the problem with the base layer is um, both the block size and the amount of like circulating Satoshis and the dust limit ultimately limit how many UTXOs we can even create um, uh, that have Bitcoin in them and how, how quickly they, we can create them. So in order to actually get over like roughly a, something like 80 million uh, potential possible UTXOs with Bitcoin in them, we would have to, say, remove the dust limit. That would free up more um, or, or reduce the, the dust limit. That would free up more. But then that would create trade-offs with like spam between Simple nodes. Attacks yeah. And and so there are trade-offs there, and but we don't actually know that the num the low no lowest number we could do it probably could be lower than the current dust limit, and which be okay. is five sixty four, five seventy. I don't know. I think yeah. it's five seventy six or something like yeah. that. Um, but Wikari could make it fifty, and it probably would be okay. Who knows? Like people can do research and figure that out. But even if we do that, we still only end up I don't know like a hundred and something million, two hundred million. We still end up with a very relatively low number compared to society as a whole. We, we do not end up with billions. Um, and even if we wanted to onboard a billion people, it would be severely limited by the block size. Like if you wanted to onboard billions of people, you would definitely run the risk of never having your transaction confirmed in your lifetime. Like because the block size is too small to do the volume of UTXO creation that you're talking about here. So in order to actually get like billions of people using Bitcoin, and don't fucking kill me, listeners. Like you would literally, <laughs> <laughs> you would literally have to increase the amount of bitcoins. You have to multiply the supply, and you would have to increase the block size, unless magical people like Gmax come up with something that has like very, very agreeable trade-offs. And you'd have to increase the block time too, right? I don't know about that. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. you'd have to see. Like this is. Uh, I can concede that may be the case, but it may, it may also not, right? Like, again, I mean, this is what we got to. We got to, like, rye stones, like, uh, last last week when we were talking. Like, I do think there's, like, a future where you, you have, like, UTXOs are equivalent to what rye stones were on the island of Yap. There's is somewhat immobile, move very infrequently. Um, and I think this plays... I think that's what a UTXO will be. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it'll be, like, everybody just, like, is thankful for having a lightning channel UTXO, and they just, like, use that their whole life, hopefully. <laughs> you know, because, like, block space should be rare. You know, it should not... We should not keep increasing... I'm, like, I'm not saying we should multiply the supply. I'm not saying we should increase the block size. I'm just saying, if you want the assumption of billions of people in here... At the protocol level. Yeah, at the protocol level, holding their own keys, self-sovereign, you know, that's what it would take right now. Now, maybe, you know, smarter people than me can come up with the designs that have, you know, again, they will have trade-offs. Maybe somebody smarter than me can come up with a, an agreeable trade-off to abstract UTXOs to have multiple accounts or somehow fix this without multiplying the supply or without increasing the block size. But there will be some other trade-off. Yeah, a lot of people are saying the covenants could help with this as well. Um at the protocol layer. Yeah. But again, I think this has been well known. Like even in safe, like in the Bitcoin standard, safe made it very apparent. Like not everybody's going to be transacting at the protocol level, which therefore means not everybody's going to have a UTXO. Yeah. Well, I believe like even how Finney was talking about Bitcoin banks and things in like that. In 2010. This. Yeah. So like it's well known, but it's not well accepted. Like you go and say this stuff on Twitter that I'm saying to you right now, like people will block you. People will unfollow you. People will say you're a shit coiner. People say you're Roger <laughs> Ver. Like you're going to get all that stuff regardless of whether GMAX would agree. Because a lot of, especially the newer Bitcoiners, 
it takes years to learn Bitcoin. Like they, they have not done their research. They have basically learned to memorize the memes and mm -hmm. parrot, you know, the influencers and that's good enough for them. And that'll get you pretty far, but it won't make you understand Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, there are technical limitations. Yeah. yeah. And like it should be well known. It freaks. If you don't understand, like right now as Bitcoin is designed, it is literally impossible for every human on earth to own a UTXO and Pretty much like Bitcoin, you have to say like blockchains do not scale. Yeah. They're they're like maximally redundant. <laughs> they do not scale. And I mean, and that's part of the trade off with Bitcoin, right? Like you're getting this lack of potential scale at the protocol layer for a sufficiently distributed, sound and open monetary system. Yeah. And this gets into some other things like how, like, I, I don't really believe in side chains as a form of scaling, um, especially the ones we have. I don't even really believe in the proposed ones either, because I think that like, just which ones do we have? Would you consider liquid a side chain? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> what I consider liquid a side chain is the question, you know, yeah. side side chains as originally defined were supposed to be pegs. They were supposed to be like deterministic pegs. And that design ended up not actually being possible as originally they, they believed it was. And they ended up with a federated design. And so the federated design is just a private network, you know, um, and a private network also with like a very small developer team, you know, that, that basically decides what the protocol will be. Um, and they have like some thermate hardware and other tricks that they do to try to make it, you know, safe. But in the end, like it's not Bitcoin. It's not, it says it's not like deterministic to Bitcoin. It's not a layer on Bitcoin. Um, my definition of a layer is something that is actually dependent on the thing below it. It settles to the thing below it. It does not settle. It settles to the Federation, you mm -hmm. know. Um, it's permissioned, um, it's censored, um, you know, like there are people who cannot become Federation members. They would not be allowed see if North Korea can join the Federation. It will not happen. Yeah. Um, it's not, so it's permission. It is not voluntary. It is not, op, you know, just strictly opt in. Uh, it's a private network with private rules. And as a design, when you start putting a blockchain there, it's always the same argument that we, we were arguing against in 2016 with Bitcoin Uncensored talking about blockchains don't scale, you know, don't blockchain all the things. It's ridiculous. You don't need a blockchain for that. It applies in every single situation, including, including liquid, including, um, drive chains and what, what Paul sports wants to do. Paul Stortz, I guess <laughs> <laughs> people won't get that joke. <laughs> too many years. Um, you know, Paul Stortz, uh, you know, he wants to do, I think it's BIP 301, BIP 300, BIP 300. And he wants to basically make a better way to do side chains. I would agree that it's probably a better way than liquid. Um, it does come with a whole new set of trade-offs, a whole new set of trust, you know, related to mining and merge mining and things like this. It's probably, you know, it probably offers at least a different, you know, uh, trade-off set that might be more appealing to people than liquid. But in the end, like a blockchain was designed to have mining. It was designed to be part of the entire design of Bitcoin. If you start pulling pieces out and putting, you know, just taking the blockchain database aspect or the transacting aspect or the blocks aspect and just rip out pieces and call that a layer, that's not the same thing. You know what I mean? That's, first of all, blockchains still don't scale. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, if, even if you take out mining or take out this or that, like they still don't scale. They're still supposed to be highly redundant. And so that means that any success of your side chain is just another scaling problem with more trade-offs. And you're already having to adopt probably pretty serious trade-offs to even use that chain. 
And the arguments are that like we can kill shit coins this way. Like uh, this is Paul's like big thing is he thinks you know we're letting shit coins win by not you know supporting his design. And I just don't believe that. I think the reason why people use shit coins is because they want to be able to like you know have higher risk reward potential. Uh, they just they're just willing to take a high risk and low security and more trust to have more potential at short term gains. It's just a high time preference behavior, and that's just all it is. And unless Paul has a plan for like you know getting people to shitcoin on Bitcoin and and for some reason justifying that that's what we want here and that the community will support here, then he's gonna be wrong because shitcoins. I don't know. Just my opinion, like. If you're if you care about blockchains, I really do think shitcoins are actually better than sidechains. Like, I wouldn't use either one, but like if you think about it, at least they get to have their own separate network. They get to control like you know details about how mining works and issuance, and actually have an intact blockchain. Whereas a sidechain is like some mutation with missing pieces. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm trying because I I want to speak more eloquently on side change or just can't i've talked to paul and understand it's not fair for me to talk about it without him here and he wouldn't obviously know better about his own thing than i would but just as as a kind of design axiom and this is another thing like with our company like we just will not use blockchains like i just do not support blockchains as a design through my own research i just do not think they scale bitcoin i think they compete with bitcoin i don't want to see a soft work bitcoin and add more assumptions and more risks and more trade-offs and more potential debasements or whatever kind of weird things i just want to be like the 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 uh, conservative about bitcoin changes yeah, just anchoring into the protocol and yeah, leveraging yeah. that um yeah i agree i tend to agree yeah i don't particularly around like mining it's very specific and that's we can get, get that in a whole nother rabbit hole of like even the word blockchain is just like a huge fucking misnomer that we probably should have never been marketing widely like we should probably should have stuck with time chain because that really drives they would have done the same thing with time chain like oh we have time chains are you using a time chain for that like time chain i think it really drives home interesting because we could talk about it like, drives on the importance issues. of proof of work right and why satoshi chose proof of work with a 10-minute block production specifically because it is to essentially create a sequence of time in an asynchronous manner, in a global manner, right? Yeah, you, people all ultimately have to sync on each block, um, and the 10 minutes is just because of latency and you know making that actually feasible, and that's why small shit coins with smaller block times are obviously going to be less stable. Um, I don't have an issue with blockchain as far as like the the name of the concept, mm -hmm. uh, time chain, blockchain. I don't care. See, I think time chain would drive home the importance of mining and its nature. Um, but also, better like, than blockchain Bitcoin's does. pretty bad at keeping time. Like, yes, there's, sequen there's sequential enforcement, but, like, the actual time, it, it, it's not a very good time chain. You know what I mean? Like, blocks can be 10 minutes, they can be an hour, they can be two hours, well, they I don't can think be it's purporting, three minutes. I don't think it's purporting to be an accurate measure of time, but just, like, a, an accurate measure of sequential events. So events could happen in like di different intervals. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, but blocks doesn't really drive home. Blockchain doesn't drive home the temporal nature of the block production, right? I just don't think there actually is a like I think the only temporal nature is that there's a sequence. Yeah. You know, and so that's the chain part. Mm -hmm. And whether you want to call the sequence a sequence of blocks or a sequence of times or you know or of time yeah, I see where like, you're getting there. I don't know. It's like splitting tears. It's, that, that's the kind of bike shedding I don't like. That's actually the comment <laughs> that almost got me banned from Bitcoin Core was I said to Dave Harding um 
I said, look, if we're going to argue about whether, the, I was like, first of all, everybody knows blockchain is one word. It's just like, it's it's just one of those things. Everybody knows that everybody knows. Sorry, like I can't point to the dictionary and or some like official source that says so, but like everybody knows, and I'm not going to bike shed with you that blockchain has you know a space in it because it also has a space in it somewhere else in the Bitcoin code. Fix that too, then. And I said, what I could do is I could sit here and I could troll you and say that it should actually be time chain. And he was like, oh, I know your I know your reputation. I know you will really will troll me, and if you continue, I will ban you. You know, and so it's like, dude, uh, like, I'm just making a point. I'm just saying, like, can we not? <laughs> <laughs> it's, we have bigger fish to fry here. We don't need to focus on a space. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. We, uh, we're getting through a lot of the good morning tweets. Um, yeah, I don't want to, like, go through the list of all of them, but if you have anything you want to bring up, anything... Anything spicy you think that I'm saying, I'm happy to answer for it. <laughs> no, I don't. Again, we talked through a lot of it last week, and I think we've covered most of it here. We probably even covered some of these things in our original podcast. I would not be surprised if I go back and listen and be like, oh, that's what that was one of the good morning tweets. <laughs> you know, like, I, we probably talked in the past about like how I don't think Bitcoin's fungible. Like, one of the good morning tweets was like, one BTC does not equal one BTC. Um, Ooh, that's, that's <laughs> spicy. I disagree with that. Why? Yeah, well, you're wrong. Why? <laughs> um, well, show me in, the market. Just in general, show me the UTXOs. Oh, it's very easy. Um, just in general, um, as a, as a like physics concept, the concept of fungibility is absurd. You know, of one thing equaling any other thing. Equality as a concept is absurd. Other than like in a very controlled, specific mathematical environment where you could semantically say these things are treated fungibly. But any time, but Bitcoin is literally made to separate the ownership of which sats between which sats every utxo is literally a different size when you go to spend it will have a different cost when you spend it and just that alone like just the fact that you are literally making every single utxo unique and tracking their uniqueness means that those you know every utxo is not fungible and then within the utxo you could argue like those these these sat sats inside of it are fungible because they are all the same but you never get to actually use them that way as soon as you go to spend them you have to pay a fee related to the size of the utxo you created and that fee is unique every time so like you might you might pay a different amount for 10,000 sats today than you will pay in 1 minute because of the fees the current fees on the on the on the mempool etc to get it confirmed as fast as you want everything is totally unique every single time you do it and there are no two people that ever pay the same exact price for bitcoin because they're all paying at different moments the price is always moving they're all using diff different utxos spent from different pub keys everything about bitcoin is extremely unique it's extremely relative it's extremely proximal like it it's like the most unique thing to do with money <laughs> and so so to say so, so to say it's fungible is just basically like misusing the word because the word is nonsense in the first place you you have to misuse it and to kind of represent qualities of bitcoin that you would like to value like to say like I, like people often like confuse fungibility with privacy mm -hmm. which is not the same thing it's like fungibility just means like maximum likeness you know but you can't get maximum likeness out of bitcoin like you have to pay different fees you have to pay you get a different market price every time you spend it like there's no there's no fungibleness, you know? Yeah. Well, again, if we're going to accept bad definitions and try to form fit fungibility, right? It, it goes down to, I guess, fungibility in the sense that people are using it would be 
like so you just described like a different cost different fees different price of bitcoin purchasing power i guess you could say of sats at any given point in time that you spend it like minus all those variables like the fungibility exists there at the end product like it will be accepted every utxo is a unique slow snowflake you know (laughs) like it really is um and to and i think it's much more useful to portray it as infungible than to, to portray it as fungible because you don't end up with the confusion of the qualities of fungibility that supposedly exist, mm. like that you will get same price, that you will get likeness. You don't really get likeness out of your Bitcoin. Well, then we're going to dive into the Lightning Network and like channels, like spending sats without appending to the main chain. Those are certainly fungible in the definition and extreme likeness that people are maybe. It depends. I'm not sure which uh, what level you mean. Like, like literally, the only time that bitcoins are actually fungible, other than like the moment they're created, is when they're actually used as fees. Um, they they get pretty close. They don't uh, become totally fungible because you still know like where they where they lost their history. Mm-hmm. But when you put Bitcoin in as fees, it actually is, you know, a part cleansing of the, mechanism. Yeah. Because it gets separated from the UTXOs that they came from. Mm-hmm. And only, so really only the miners have the ability to essentially wash Bitcoin through fees. Yeah. Um, and that, that's something that would be interesting to see someday is, you know, miners can include their own Bitcoin in the, in the blocks that they mine and they can, they can just include high fees that they know they're well, going to get themselves if they want to wash their Bitcoin. Well, that was a theory that was brought to the fore during the mine, the China ban on mining. Like, fees dropped precipitously. Um, and that was, like, a big theory where the pools like, just gassing fee markets with their own transactions. I, mean, I think they definitely did that at the 2017 top. Like, when the blocks are full, there's a lot of fun games you can play to basically seek the market rate. And that's all, that, that's all that's happening is, in the end, there's a maximum price people are willing to pay. But because blocks aren't full, we aren't finding it. And I think that, like, this was actually another Good Morning tweet, which was uh, everybody is overpaying transaction fees all the time as long as blocks aren't full. Like, the, the, you should always be paying the one, one sat, sat per, per byte. Um, We're big advocates of that here at TFTC. Yeah. Like, it just, it's just it's so annoying <laughs> like, to see, like, that I have to pay eight sats per byte. You don't and, have to. No, you don't have to. But if I want it quickly, like, in other words, even just for next block, it should be that. Like, everybody should be using Segwit, everybody should be saturating the blocks, and everybody should be paying the minimum fee. Like, there's no game that you should that you need well, to play to get in front of line. Eh, yeah. If you're, if you're sending a Segwit transaction, you'll get in the Segwit block, and there's, there's always space. But, but what if the mempool is 30,000 transactions? 60,000 transactions. Yeah, like, I mean, I would like... Well, that only matters if, they're all, if there are ones that have more than one sat per byte. Yeah. Um, you know, if we, in other words, if everybody played the game cooperatively and all did it, all included it, basically what would happen is only the size of the mempool and how, you know, getting that, in, it would have to be fit in one block. If the size of the mempool of transaction waiting is above, like, I don't know, what's the theoretical, it's the max, theoretical max is like three or four megabytes. If it's above that, then yeah, you would have to start competing for mm. priority. But at the moment, we have had block space open for a long time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Send those one sat per byte fees, freaks. And wallets, please, you know, like try not to like, try not to one up the the estimate. You know what I mean? Like a lot of like, you see a lot of like uh, inefficiency there where they're like, well, if they put it in the next block, you know, it would only cost eight sats per byte uh, or, or whatever the, per weight or whatever it's called. Um, and we're going to put nine just to be safe or 10 just to be safe. Like that inflates the rates. 
and it adds up over time. Yeah. Um, God, it's been fascinating. We have to get on to talking about your company. Yeah, yeah. So should we stop recording this? Sure, yeah. Let's break it up and, and uh, take a little break, I guess. Yeah. What uh, Before we end this particular episode, what, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. I love the adversarial thinking that we're bringing via this conversation to to the listeners. Um, these are, I would just describe it, hard problems that Bitcoin faces that as a user you need to face and come to grips with. Like you said, like you can't just be all the memeing and the pumping uh, and advocating for Bitcoin publicly is fun. But again, yeah. you want to back well, it up with a knowledge of this technical aspect and the limitations of the network uh, to to set expectations. I I think Bitcoiners, and we've seen in the mining industry this year particularly, um, are setting bad expectations, and that that can lead to just annoying uh, conversations in the future. Yeah. I guess I'll, and I would end my, my, my comments with a plea, which is basically like, you know, as Bitcoiners try to self-examine and be willing to learn about things about Bitcoin that make you uncomfortable and also try to treat people like me and others that are trying to explore these areas, um, with the benefit of the doubt and a little bit more, um, you know, accepting because I don't know, like, I'm a hardcore Bitcoiner. I've been a hardcore Bitcoiner since the day pretty much I discovered Bitcoin. And I've been here about nine years now. And it doesn't feel good to like try to like make these discoveries and like start and like really feel like you're starting to get a grip on how Bitcoin works and then want to share that and then have your community reject you and think that you're trying to shit coin or think that you're trying to fork Bitcoin or like accuse you of like being like some of the people you yourself hate. Um, it, it takes a lot of uh, bravery and stress to push through that. Um, and it would be nice if the culture shifted more to like giving people like that the benefit of the doubt. People like me, people like Luke, people like Eric Voskul that like are really trying to like be sure about what's safe to do with Bitcoin and, and, and warn people about the risks and, and so we can ne- not ne- ever fuck this up and get the most we can out of it. Yeah, I think it's extremely imperative that we think like this and have this ad- adversarial mindset. I do agree. It ha- and Matt has been echoing this as well. Like the, the Bitcoin critics within Bitcoin circle have been getting weak um, yeah. in recent years. Well, and we're, we're, we're pretty much shunned pretty quickly. I mean, hey, I got to have a conversation with Matt about privacy and all that bullshit. <laughs> is, is he going to be able to handle it? We'll see. Well, you, you're not a fan of Whirlpool and all that stuff. So. Uh, I'm, I mean, just Samurai, I think everybody should just stay away from. Uh, we can get, I don't really want to get into it right now, but I think a lot of people do already know like some of the risks there. Um, but just like on-chain mixing is just nonsense, honestly. Um, I don't know how you're ever going to make that you know scalable or efficient. I don't even know how much protection it really honestly gets you. I would rather, I, I feel like, there's always huge opportunity costs um, with Bitcoin research and development. And so when I see something that has like all these like obvious admitted weaknesses, I just really think people would benefit a lot more from accepting them as weaknesses and as design limitations and then powering through like the other harder problems to solve. Because I think that's all we're doing is we're just delaying actually solving, like making Bitcoin private and being able to like dislocate your behavior and, and achieve privacy and stop leaking metadata. And I have all like, I have a lot of theories about privacy that I just think are, are inconsistent with things like coin join and on chain mixing and some of that stuff or the kind of trusting coordinators. And I think they'll get better at it, but I don't know. I just think that like privacy is metadata 
and uh, CoinGen and Crates creates a lot of metadata, <laughs> you know, and I just don't see how that can be the solution fundamentally. Think about it, freaks. Matt, if you're listening, we need to get you two on together. Maybe, <laughs> it, could, maybe it could be a Citadel Dispatch episode, actually. Um, if you guys want to dive I, into I need to get a little more expertise there. Like my plan is to like kind of tackle privacy like next year at some point, like do a little more research myself, see what's cool, see what's not so cool and see how we want to start integrating privacy in our products. Yeah. God, another thing I wish I would have talked to you about is the transition from HDLCs to PTLCs. We've been having that conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so researched there. I would skip me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think there, there's some problems ahead with that transition too. Problems. It's October. We're, we're approaching Halloween. This will be released, uh, I believe, the day after Halloween or a couple days after. But um, it's been the theme of the last few episodes, thinking through some of these hairy mm-hmm. parts of Bitcoin that people just either are completely ignorant of or, or want to ignore because they're moon boys. I find it fun. Maybe there's something wrong with me, but I think it's really interesting. Well, thank you for doing it, John. And it uh, has been a pleasure, as always. I'm pumped that we're able to do this in person. The in-person interviews are so much better. Thank you for giving me a chance to explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always have, have room on this podcast to come explain yourself. Um, still clutch, clutching my pearls over the uh, status comment, but... I don't apologize often (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's what we got for this week freaks John and I are going to stop recording here record another episode about the company he's been working on in stealth mode but is officially going to announce to the world uh, at some point in the next few weeks and so once that is announced uh, you'll be able to find that episode as well so make sure you subscribe and check in for that and follow John on Twitter at Bitcoin Aerolog um Somebody I've been following, geez, I think I've been following for like seven or eight years now on Twitter. You were like one of the OG. I appreciate it. That's probably when I joined. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you've gone, you, cause you had like the error log. You had like the exclamation point is your. your it was head. a red X. Was red my, X. Was That's my avatar what it was. For yeah. a long time when yeah. I was like pseudonym. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Enjoy. Peace and love, freaks. <laughs>